Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshay Emmet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about the first Parsha from the book of Leviticus, Vayikra, what we can learn about innovation from the sacrificial order. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Rabbi. Well, we have begun the book of the Torah that brings more tears to B'nai Mitzvah parents' eyes than any other. <laughs> I think you say that about a lot of them. <laughs> this one, the whole, just the whole book of, of well, it's not the whole book, but I, I just, um, you know, I, I just think it's amazing that 2,000 years after the last sacrifice was offered in the temple, for almost 2,000 years, we're still looking at the book of Leviticus, which is nothing more than the handbook of priests, and reading about what sacrifice was offered on what day and how that sacrifice was offered, or when we stand up for the Musa Famida on a Shabbos morning or a holiday, that we are recounting the sacrifices that would have been offered if the temple would have stood. So we're not only studying it, but in, in our own ways, we're reenacting the sacrificial order. And yet, if we took a vote of the Jewish people, should we rebuild the temple and reinstitute the sacrificial order? I'm not sure that reinstituting the sacrificial order would get the majority of votes. What do you think? How would you vote? Yeah, I think I could pass on that. I prefer just to keep uh, studying it, I think. Um, Why is that? Well, it, it feels barbaric. It feels like it comes from another time and age when the sacrifice was a way of communicating and expressing ourselves. But um, we've got iPhones for that now. And we can, we've got apps. We don't, need, we don't need the smoke. And Although I must say that you know, there's something a lot more tangible and a lot more um, intimate in the sacrifice. But I, I just think we improved on our abilities to pray. Well, in some ways, it feels that way. Look, Maimonides, of all people, you know, writes about this. Maimonides is a great rationalist, but is also a firm believer in the tradition. He makes the point that in the time in which Moses lived, the people needed a sacrificial order. If Moses was, could have come back, down from Sinai and said, hey, I've got this prayer book. We're going to copy it and everybody will have one. And we're giving up the sacrificial order. We're not going to sacrifice anymore. I think the people would have rejected him. I think they would have thrown the prayer book at him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was part and parcel of how the world functioned. The gods were imminent through sacrifice. They ate, you ate. You feed them. They serve you. They'll you know look kindly upon you if you bring the right sacrifice. I think the real challenge for Judaism was to create a different type of relationship where I, as the supplicant, wasn't coming in to bribe God on some level or win God over by bringing an especially succulent piece of meat. But rather, Judaism is all about the relationship. That's why we call it korbanot. Korbanot comes from the Hebrew word karov, which means to come close. It's a relationship term. So in other words, the sacrificial act, as foreign as it is, was a way of creating a bond, a relationship of engaging one another in a very physical way. So that when the sacrifice was burning on the altar, God was accepting the sacrifice and in a sense accepting you in this relationship. It might be that you came for a sin offering, as the Torah reading is going to talk about. It might be that you came for a guilt offering. It might mean that you came for a Thanksgiving offering. Either way, in that moment, God is present 
physically, and it's a sensory experience. You can smell the fire, the smoke. You can see the sacrifice. You can hear it. It's tactile. The priests, are, in many cases, are going to eat the sacrifice, at least parts of the sacrifice. So the whole thing is a very, very powerful sensory experience, which is very different than what we do. But if the essence of it is the same, it's all about creating a relationship with God to bring yourself close to God. And I think from that perspective, there's a lot to it. Yeah, I'm fascinated by how those changes occur and when and what triggers them. Because it's in any culture, it's hard to give up your familiar rituals, even the ones that are controversial, even the ones that feel like they might be antiquated. It's very hard to get people to change their ways of doing things. And I'm curious about how that transition was made. Now, of course, it's easy for me to joke about it and say we don't need uh, to do that anymore. But at the time, how do you go about convincing people that the the old rituals are... Um, it's time to move on from those. Well, I think that Jewish history does that for us. In the case of sacrifices, the destruction of the first temple and the second temple created a crisis. Most peoples would have walked away, right, without its central place. If you take away the temple and the temple represented God's home and the temple was destroyed and the sacrificial order was destroyed, in that place, then it's as if there's no relationship. The means to communication is gone. The place where we communicated is gone. And in the ancient world, it must mean that the Babylonian gods are more powerful than my god, right? The amazing thing about Jews is that they went into exile. They didn't build a new sacrificial court. They began to create alternative modes of worship. Even in the Babylonian exile, and they came back to Israel, and when they came back, they rebuilt the temple, and they, they maintained it. But there was already a history by the destruction of the temple in 70. There was already a diaspora out there that were doing things that were verbal and not physical. They weren't offering sacrifice, but they were doing things in a verbal way to connect with what was going on in the temple. And as a result of that, in a way, the Jewish people were ready to create an alternative. And I would also add that the world had also evolved. People's thinking had also evolved. And even though sacrifice was still part of the ancient world, there were critics of the ancient world in Rome and in Greece. And by the way, the prophets themselves could be very critical of the sacrifices on Yom Kippur. When we read Isaiah's words, he says, you know, what do you, do you think that I need the fat of these animals? Do you think this is what I want? I want your heart. I want the relationship. And so you can see the makings of what's going to the transition that's going to come, but still it's a remarkable step. You have an entire book that we're just starting this week, the book of Leviticus, and all it does is go through every detail of the sacrifice. And what are we saying when we go to synagogue? Well, we're not doing that, God, but we assume, we believe that you're going to accept this as if we did sacrifice, which is a huge leap. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, you're saying because it had to happen that people didn't have the temple. They, they had no choice but to adapt and to find new ways of offering their prayer and offering the same sentiment of thanks. But it strikes me that people are hard to change and that in any instance of a cultural revolution or, you know, dramatic change in lifestyle, people have a hard time 
going with that and adapting to it. And I wonder if you can think of a modern parallel, if there's something that, uh, you know, today we will someday look back on and say, wow, that was barbaric. You know, will it be, you know, gasoline powered cars or I don't know. I think there are moments when bold steps need to be taken. Are they willing to take the risk? because it's for everyone's good. And look, I think that institutions get involved in moments like this, where the synagogue right now is in the middle of this strategic planning. And we have more than half the congregation responded to a survey, which is pretty remarkable. And we learned lots of things. And one of the things that came through loud and clear is that the vast majority of the congregation not only appreciates virtual services, but wants them to continue. Hmm. Okay, now, if you would have asked me a year ago, when we were reading the book of Leviticus, when just when this COVID was, this terrible pandemic was starting, I would have said, you know, no way. We're never doing that. Well, that's not, you know, maybe my, my successor will do that. But you can't give up the feeling of shaking someone's hand, giving them a hug, sitting with them, singing with them, the whole sensory experience of being together in synagogue. And what am I going to sit and look at, a, you know, sit and look at a screen and pretend that that's the same thing? But now, a year ago, a year later, we've everyone's gone to like Zoom University. We're very used to that. And people like the convenience of it. And we are adapting. So the question for congregations, and I think lots of institutions, churches, etc., is going to be how bold will you be and what kind of steps are you going to take to create the community of the future? I can tell you this, it's going to be a hybrid model. So in a way, yeah. we're going through our own evolution. You know, we're going to be doing services in the sanctuary, of course, with people coming, God willing, when that time comes. But we're also going to be streaming those services so people can enjoy them from wherever they are. And we're not going back. So I guess those changes happen. And within the congregation, by the way, just, uh, you know, there are people who are very upset that we didn't create more physical opportunities. But we had an opening committee, and we made certain choices about how we were going to run things, and we were going to try and be as conservative as possible, small c, in terms of our health and safety. But, you know, there are plenty of people in the congregation that want have to have nothing to do with virtual services. So, in a sense, you're going to get some of the same debate going on. But I think that as a community, we must evolve we must strive to go to the next step so for the betterment of the community. And that's what I that's what I believe we're doing. Yeah. And uh, there's no telling really what it's going to look like or what the consequences will be. That's one of the things that history teaches us is that you can't predict what history is going to teach us. And uh, we just don't know what the impact of this is going to be. 10, 20 years from now, we will be surprised, but then we'll look back and say, oh, yeah, it was obvious that that was a change that, that was coming down the pike. Well, I think that's exactly right. I hate to quote Rod McEwen, but he once said that first people create the machines, and then the machines recreate people. What's it going to be like when it's okay to kind of re-engage in society? I know people are dying to get out of their houses. They're trying to just have a normal evening with friends or go to a restaurant and just have a meal. But beyond that, how has this changed us? Where are we today? Are people going to suddenly flock to movie theaters? Are they going to go to sporting events? We don't really know how we've been affected by our homes. And I think that that's going to be the real test. And so in a way, when we open the book of Leviticus, we're really thinking about an institution that was evolving then. It was creating a separation between the old form of sacrifice to this new understanding of sacrifice's relationship, a break with the pagan world, but then it was also going to evolve into prayer. 
And so in a way, if you survive, if you want to survive, then you're going to need to learn to evolve. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it reminds us to be humble because we just don't know what we're living through. We don't know how these changes are going to affect us. We don't know what the world is going to look like. And we have to take our best uh, guess and behave in the way that feels right and feels honest and be open to the idea that you're that you really don't know what you're you know what 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 change is coming yeah I, I like to think of it this way i think that god gave us two hands one is to hold on to the best of the past and the other is to reach for the future and so i think that's the jewish approach to this i think certainly that's why i read the book of leviticus and i hope that that'll be our approach going forward both authentic but also innovative thanks jonathan uh,